everyone. This is Rick Thomas. I trust that you all are doing well. We are doing Life Over Coffee. That is our ministry, and we hope, as our tagline suggests, that we can spark confirmation. We can spark conversation that leads to transformation. That is what we are about. Uh, we want to provoke. We want to stir up. We want to encourage uh, one another so that we can all come together in our various contexts and communities around the world and stir one another up to loving good works, doing life over coffee, life over tea or water, however you want to do life with another individual, sparking conversation that leads to transformation, and that's what our ministry is. Now, one of the ways that we do that is that we have a lot of resources that we provide uh, to whosoever will, and so all of our resources are free, and it's our joy and it's our pleasure to be able to give these resources to you. Also, at this season of our ministry life, we are right in the middle of something big and transformative for our ministry as as we're transitioning our ministry from rickthomas.net to lifeovercoffee.com. This is the legacy phase of this ministry as, as we are preparing it generationally for the future day when God takes me home. I'm no longer here. My hope, my desire is that this ministry will continue on and continue to impact lives without me. Now, in order to do that, we believed it was necessary to scrub my name from the website, from the ministry, and for me to blend back into the team because we are a team ministry now. When I started it in 2008, it was just me, me, myself, me, myself, and I. I think that's how we uh, say it. I was all alone doing this ministry, but God has been very kind to bring some wonderful people here. And so now I am part of a, a team, and I'm very thankful for that. But not only that, uh, we began to think a number of years ago, how in the world can we like set this ministry up? Uh, generationally, well, part of that is is moving away from me and 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 setting it up uh, without me, and so that's why we're moving over in just a couple of weeks. Uh, in about three weeks from this point, uh, hopefully, God willing, we will be lifeovercoffee.com, and I am very thankful for that. Well. To do that takes a lot of work to scrub my name, to scrub my fingerprints off this ministry and set it up as lifeovercoffee.com. That means we have to replace everything. We have to rewrite a lot of stuff and rebuild virtually everything. Some of the things that we are rebuilding, for example, is all of our infographics. We have 131 infographics, and these are... These are illustrations that came from counseling sessions that I have done over the past quarter of the century. Uh, typically, when I do counseling, I'll always have my iPad with me, and I will be drawing out these stick figures and other symbols uh, to try to communicate spiritual truth to the person that I'm talking to. And then I'd come back to the office at some point later, and then I'll try to put those sketches into uh, something that, that everyone can benefit from. And, and that's how our infographics have evolved over the years. And right now we have over 130 of them. 
And by the way, you can have access to every one of them. And so in order to transition from rickthomas.net to lifeovercoffee.com, I had to rebuild all of my infographics. And I just finished that yesterday. And as I was going through uh, the infographics, I, I stumbled on one that I haven't seen in a long time. And the title of it is 10-Step Process to a Hard Heart. And as I was rebuilding this infographic, I thought this would make an excellent, just an outstanding podcast, an outstanding video that I could do, and that people would have this infographic and they could hear this explanation of it, and it would help them uh, because all of us are in that place to where we could uh, lower the, uh, the, the, the thermostat of our conscience down to such a point to where uh, we can't discern between right and wrong, and we begin to make uh, bad choices because of a hardened heart. We're all in that place. That can happen to us, and that's why we need each other. That's why I reference Hebrews 10, 25 so often, that we stir one another up, that we provoke one another. The word stir up in that text, you could make a case to say that it is a biblical irritant. We should biblically irritate one another. And I mean that with all compassion and all kindness, uh, but we want to be biblical irritants to one another. Jeff Mears, one of our graduates from our mastermind program, said years ago, he said, Rick, your content, it kind of just pokes you in the chest. It kind of pokes you in the chest. And he meant that in a very good way. And so when I say that we want to provoke you, we want to stir you up, that is the context and the meaning uh, that I intend. But we need to do that with each other because we're all susceptible to hardening our hearts. And if it's not us, it's someone that we know, is someone in our community. And so what I want to do over the next few moments is I want to walk through this infographic. And again, it's titled, 10-step process to a hard heart. Now, I'm not just going to give you the 10 negatives in this 10-step process, but I also want to bring some redemptive, transformative care. I want to bring some practical solutions as well. And then if we're in that place to where we have a sensitivity to the Spirit of God and He illuminates our minds, then that's when we want to, we want to pull up. We want to arrest ourselves. We want to stop. We we want to repent. We want to go back the other way so that we don't go to the end of this process, which is a hard heart. And so I want to walk through the 10-step process to a hard heart. I want you to go to episode 427, and I want you to get this infographic. Now, if you're not driving in your car or in some other place uh, to where you can just stop for a moment, then I would encourage you to Go to episode 427. You can go to our infographic page as well and just pull this graphic off. Put it on your computer. Print it off. You can print it off, and, and you can put it on your uh, refrigerator. As a matter of fact, I have, I have a poster here. And this poster is the, it's, it's the order of repentance. And for those of you who are watching by video, yeah, you can see uh, this poster uh, is, is a, it's a canvas type, like a, uh, like a professional uh, chess mat that you can roll up and play in the park with people. For those of you 
who love chess like me, uh, but it's, it's kind of like a chess mat. And I had it printed off at a printer so that, and, and I used this early on uh, teaching our children the process of repentance. And so you could not only print these infographics off in paper, you can put it on other material as well. But these can be wonderful teaching tools for you. And so I would encourage you to go, excuse me, to go to episode 427. And pull it off and and use it. And you can send the URL to a friend. Uh, you can get uh, together with them. And you can do life over coffee. And so I've titled this episode 427, the 10-step process to a hard heart. And that's what I want to share with you right now. Now, as I get into this, now please remember, go get the infographic. There's 130 plus graphics on our infographic page and you can use all of them and if you have any question about what they are about uh, just write into our ministry and we would love to either direct you through our website or uh, we would love to explain them to you uh, for those of you who support our ministry you can jump on our private forum and say hey i'm looking at this infographic will you explain it to me now for our supporting community i'll probably do a video for you just a short five minute video and explain it to you for those of you uh, who are supporting us and you want to talk to us on the private forum but for the rest of you you could just write in at our support at uh, email address is go to the footer of the website, uh, hit contact us and let us know what your question is, whether it's about a, an infographic or something else. But please get this one, 10-step process to a hard heart. Now, as I get into it, and for those of you who really want to uh, do some work uh, on transformation that you want to change, I would encourage you to get uh, my book, uh, Change Me. And this is what I wrote this book uh, four, uh, it's called The Ultimate Life Change Handbook, the subtitle, Change Me. You say, Rick, this is kind of self-promoting, isn't it? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Unashamedly, I am self-promoting. Uh, I, I wrote it. I didn't write it for no one to read it. I, I wrote it for you to read it because I believe in the material. And so if you go to Amazon, um, their printing, their print on demand is just a beautiful thing. And you just order it, they'll print a copy, they'll send it to your home address, or you can send it to someone else as a gift. As Christmas is coming up, yes, that's true. Uh, I'm doing this uh, episode here in September, but Christmas is right around the corner. And you can give it away uh, to someone, and that would be fantastic. It is an illustrated uh, workbook with questions at the end of each chapter. There's over 200, almost 300 uh, pages to this book, Change Me. And if I don't promote it, because, uh, you know, the culture's not, the New York Times is not going to put this in front of you, uh, I have to do it myself. And so I do it unashamedly because I want you to have it. And it's an inexpensive book, and it would be truly beneficial, especially if this is a season that you want to dedicate to personal transformation or uh, if you want to uh, walk another person through that, you can use this infographic here. You can use my book, Change Me, and that would be fantastic. Also, I have two meetings coming up uh, here in the next few weeks. Uh, in On October the 8th, I will be uh, in Hendersonville, North Carolina, uh, at a men's retreat, and then 
in the middle of October. I'll be in Laredo, Texas, doing a conference uh, down there as well. And if you need some information on either one of these upcoming meetings in Hendersonville, North Carolina, or in Laredo, Texas, uh, please just, again, write our ministry, and we would be glad to uh, share that information with you. And if you would like for me to speak at uh, your event or your church or your organization, uh, please contact us, and we would love to see if we can make that happen, and that would be great. All right, so I want to walk through a 10-step process to a a hard heart, and you could probably subtitle it like this, when a, when a desire becomes a controlling idol. And so there's something that we want out there. We have a desire. And that's step number one, by the way, that, that we want something, that we have a desire. And I'm not even going to distinguish between a good or bad desire, not at this point. I'm just going to say that we have a desire. There's something something that I want. I want to, let's say you're single and you want to be uh, married. Uh, Let's say that there is a a job that you put in for at your work and you hope that you will get that job and that that you would be uh, promoted. Let's say that you write an article and put it on uh, your blog and you, you want people to like it. Those are good desires, to to want people to read you, to want to get promoted, to want to be married. Those are good desires, and you could fill in the blank. You could create a long list of good desires. Now, of course, there's bad desires, too. You know, I want to beat somebody up. I want to give somebody a piece of my mind. I you know, whatever, you know, whatever those bad desires are, you know, illicit sex, you know, for example. And that's a long list as well. And we tend to know, in fact, I trust you know, uh, when a desire is bad and good. If you can't distinguish between a good and bad desire, then you are already further along in this process, this 10-step this process. If you can't tell the difference between what is good and what is evil according to the teaching of God's Word, and if you can't make those distinctions, then you're further down the line uh, than you really need to be, and you need someone speaking into your life because things are are becoming dull to that type of individual. The the dimmer is on the light, and it is getting dark by the moment. And after a while, you will be like the blind person that's groping for the wall. You'll not be able to see your hand in front of your face, spiritually, morally, ethically speaking. And so if you can't discern between right and wrong, good and evil, light and darkness, then you're already in a bad spot. But I am just speaking of desires, whether they're good or evil. And here's the point that I want to make. If that desire, good for e- or evil, if it becomes a controlling desire to where it manages my mind, it's managing my thought processes to the point to where I can't live without it. I have to have this uh, in counseling speak, sometimes we'll talk about a desire that metastasizes into a need. 
And when a desire morphs into a need, well, then our desire has metastasized. It has morphed. Uh, it has become bigger. It has been pumped with steroids. And now that it's no longer a desire, but it is a need. And there is a difference between a desire and a need. Now we're saying things like, I need to get married. I must be married. I cannot live without being married. I need it in the sense that we need food to eat and air to breathe. Those are true needs. But sometimes we can take our desires and they transform into needs to where they have controlling authority over our lives. And then when we do that, we're setting up an idol before us. And now we are worshiping the idol and we will do whatever is necessary to acquire that idol because it's no longer a desire that I could live with or live without, but it is a need that I must have. And so I must be married. I must have that job promotion. And then when those things don't happen, well, we begin to respond sinfully because we're not getting this need met. And so step number one in the 10-step process to a hard heart is that we have a desire and it entices me away from God. And that's one of the ways that you, you can examine yourself to know uh, that if you're moving off, off track, if you're moving off a God-centered worldview and life, because the desire begins to pull you away from God. Now, this is what James was teaching in James 1, verses 14 and 15. That is the LSD passage. When, when lust is conceived in the heart, that's the L. And, and it, when it is conceived, it brings sin. That's the S. And so the LSD, lust, uh, uh, it germinates in the heart. Sin springs forth, and then if we continue down that path, uh, it will lead to death. And so that's the LSD passage where lust creates, or desire, a synonym for lust is desire. And so a desire creates sin, and if we stay in that track, that will lead to death. Death of self, death to ourselves spiritually, death to our relationships. It will just bring ongoing dysfunction in our lives. And so lust, as it's conceived in the heart, it will draw us away from God. It will develop into full-blown sin, and then that sin will continue to uh, evolve into all kinds of death and destruction in in our lives. And so step number one to a hard heart is that a desire is starting to run amok in our minds to where I have to have this thing. And so you'll see the slow transition of a desire into a, a need uh, if you want to use that language. And so that's step number one. And if you see that you're swerving off the path of righteousness that we should be walking down, then that is a sign. And, and what you will perceive in this 10-step process to a hard heart, it is like going down the interstate. And, and there will be uh, not just mile markers, these 10 mile markers that I'm sharing with you, but there will be billboards all the way that will tell you to pull off. And one of the billboards that you should see at the very beginning is you're being enticed. 
You're being enticed. Don't go down this path. Take this exit. Get off. Take this ramp and get off the interstate because you're going down a bad way. And so we need to pay attention to the billboards when they uh, pop up on the interstate so that we are uh, being warned and we heed that warning. And so the 10-step process to a hard heart, number one, is my desire entices me or it is enticing me away from God, like what we see in James 1, 14 and 15. All right, so number two, if I continue on, then my desire begins to define me. And so I'm going to call this identity. Uh, it becomes my identity. It is who I am. Now, maybe you've, you've well, I'm sure you have. You, you met people uh, like that. Uh, and that could be good or bad, by the way. Uh, you meet a major league baseball player, and and he's going to talk about baseball, and that will become his identity, and he will be known as a major leaguer. That's his identity. That's not a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Uh, you meet a person that, like, whatever their their niche is, whatever the thing is that that animates them. It's their animating center, and that's what they talk about. And when you're with them, this is what you're going to talk about. That is their identity. We also see that in uh, the victimization culture as well. Uh, in society, we hear uh, people that their identity is like, this is who I am. This is what's managing me, and that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And so my desire entices me away from God, step number one, and then it, it begins to define me. It's who I am. And this is where you will hear the person say, I have to get married. I cannot live alone. Like this has to happen to me, or I have to have that job promotion or my sexual identity. This is what defines me. And in all of those instances, God is not defining the individual. And so when our desire draws us away from God, step number one, it begins, we begin to take on that identity of whatever that desire is. It has controlling influence of our minds. It begins to manage our thoughts, thought life. And so point number two is our identity. Number three, what you will see with anyone who goes off the track of God who moves off of a God-centered worldview perspective life or is not walking down paths of righteousness, point number three is that these people are unhappy. Unhappiness will always be tied to this process that I'm talking about. They're just not happy people. They're not happy. Their desire overwhelms their joy. And so joy begins to diminish in their lives uh, because their desire is continuing to metastasize. It's continuing to morph into, as I was saying earlier, it morphs into a need. But it continues to get bigger and bigger. It's their identity. It's forming into their identity. And, of course, their unhappiness will grow in proportion to their identity, that thing that defines them outside of a Christocentric identity. Now, it's easy to see in the culture, and I know you see this every day, that people who uh, want things that are not godly things are unhappy people. 
They're just unhappy. They're unsettled people. They're unhappy, and they export that unhappiness and even place demands on us to make them happy. Of course, we know that the eye is never full of seeing and the ear is never full of hearing, according to Ecclesiastes 1.8. And And so that desire that they have is an insatiable desire. It will never be satisfied, and because what they want is not Christ to rule over them, they have some other desire, they will never be happy, but the problem that's taking effect now is that the dimmer is bringing the lights down, the, the, the ability to perceive righteousness becomes harder and harder to hear because they are dulling their conscience, and so it's hard to get them to see or get them to hear. If they had ears to hear uh, what God's Word says, that would be another story, but their desire, step number one, is enticing them away from God. Number two, they're taking on an identity to where that desire begins to define them. Number three, their unhappiness is growing in proportion as that desire overwhelms whatever joy they may have had. Number four, there is also a proportional amping up of of soul noise where the loudness in their soul uh, just... it gets louder and louder. The decibel level continues to increase. Now, another way to talk about soul noise is discontentment. That is a good synonym for soul noise, uh, or at least it is a good word to glom on on the side of soul noise to get an idea of what amped up soul noise means. And so as their identity begins to define them, as their unhappiness begins to uh, grow in proportion, Uh, to this metastasized desire, along with that growing unhappiness will be amped up soul noise or this uh, discontentment that is inside of them. This is step number four. And the more soul noise that they have, there's two things that are going to happen. One, it's going to be hard to hear what the Spirit is saying to them. And then number two, that noise is just going to drown out God's Word. And again, the more God's Word is drowned out from our lives, the more our consciences, our hearts are going to harden. Step number five, they will start grumbling. Uh, I'm using the word cynicism here. Uh, Point number five is they are a cynic. A a cynic, a a good picture of a cynic is a person who, who has their arms crossed and they're looking over the tops of their glasses, as I'm doing now, and they're looking out at somebody or uh, at a situation, and they're, they're suspicious, uh, they're cynical, they're grumbly. Uh, they, these are complaining people. Cynics are complaining people. Now, what is really going on is that the grumbling person, the complaining person, the cynic, they're making subtle accusations toward God. They won't perceive that. But if we live a complaining and grumbling spirit uh, attitude, and, and this is what comes out 
of us. Well, there's something that we want that we are not getting. And so ultimately, we're making a commentary on sovereign God who rules. Uh, He sits on the circle of the earth, as Isaiah said in chapter 40. And we we are grasshoppers in his sight. But now the grasshopper is is humongous in God, the ever-shrinking God. And I'm not comfortable using that kind of uh, wordsmithing, but I do want to communicate as clearly as I can. And so God is no longer big in their life, and their desires are big. And now they are sitting on the circle of the earth. And Lord uh, uh, Jehovah is not, and because now we're out of we're out of order here. Uh, this person can only be a grumbler. They can only be a complainer. They can only be a cynic. Number five, number six. Well, the effect on the conscience. There's no way around it. Their inner voice, whatever moral thermostat, whatever biblically moral thermostat that they had. And everybody has a a biblically moral thermostat, uh, as Paul talked about in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that the Gentiles who do not have the Bible do the things contained in the Bible, their conscience bearing them witness. And so we, we all come with an internal moral thermostat that helps us to distinguish between right and wrong. The more that we mature and grow in the Bible, the more that our moral thermostat is going to be in line with God. God's word, but even the unregenerate person has a hidden morality. But if they continue on this path, that conscience, that co knowledge, that co knowledge that rides with us all the time, their inner voice is going to get quieter and quieter as far as a biblical, ethical, morality is concerned. We're talking about a dull conscience now. A, a, a thin layer of it, it is now laid down over their conscience because their desire, point number one, enticed them away from God. It began to give them an ed- identity that defined them, number two. Their unhappiness grows in proportion to this, number three. Number four, their soul noise, their discontentedness, it amps up in proportion to their unhappiness and and their desire defining them as they're being enticed away from God. Number five, they become cynics, grumblers, complainers. Number six, their conscience begins to dull. Number seven, it is possible that they could sense guilt in this dull state of the conscience where they can uh, feel shame, conviction, a sense of guiltiness is hovering around them. Now, this is, this is a warning. This is a big billboard on the side of the interstate that is saying, you've got to get off now. You have got to get off. You're feeling guilt and it may be true, and it may be false, but there is something going on in your soul, and you need someone to come alongside you to speak into your life. You cannot ignore this because there is a tension. That hidden hidden morality that even the Gentiles have is being churned up inside of you, 
and you're quieting it by this illicit desire that you have that's identifying you. And so now you have a warfare going on in your soul that's manifesting as guilt on the morality, ethical side of things. And so that is a sign for you to seek help and to come off the interstate. And so this is a crucial point in the individual's life. Number seven, guilt. Number eight is now pride. And I'm using pride here in a Romans four, uh, in a James four six context. And what I mean is God resists the proud. There's pride all through this, but I'm actually giving it a mile marker on the interstate here, number eight, pride. Because at this juncture, what pride looks like in the individual's life, God is now resisting you, which means he's a warring army against you. And so the pressure is not going to release. The difficulties are not going to decrease the dysfunction is not going to mitigate. Uh, the, the death and destruction is not going to obviate. That is before you. It's just going to be increasing randomness, increasing dysfunction, because now God is positioned. He is, he is oppositional to you. And many people will not perceive this at this state because they will see their problems as somebody horizontal to them, not giving them what they want, or somebody horizontal to them who has done something to them. They have extracted this desire, even a good desire, going back to what I was saying earlier. This is where our good desires, we can get lost in our good desires. An illustration of that would be my dad. For example, I had a good desire to have a good daddy. And, and sometimes our good desires can blind us uh, to where we do not see our personal responsibility, our agency in this process that we are in. And so you, it, it, because our good desire, uh, it, it can trick us into a level of morality or righteousness uh, that is devoid of unrighteousness or impure thoughts. And so I was not connecting uh, my unrighteousness and impure thoughts because I had a good desire. I wanted a good daddy. Well, I didn't get a good daddy. And I didn't realize how that good desire had, had led me into a bad spot. And then I was a very proud-filled person who was ultimately warring against God, or God was warring against me, number eight. Now, as this increasing randomness, this increasing dysfunction continues to roll out in our lives, number nine is that we begin to experience hopelessness. Hopelessness, uh, another way of saying hopelessness is my sin is greater than God's grace. Now, theologically, biblically, that is not true. There is no sin outside of God's grace. There is no sin that is greater than God's grace. But when you are hopeless from the hopeless heart, looking through a hopeless pair of glasses, all you can see is your sin, and your sin is greater than God's grace from the hopeless heart's perspective. And once you get into that place, uh, you can just give up. And you can just double down, and I'm just going to just keep rolling down this interstate. And that leads me to number 10, and that is a hard heart. A hard heart to where I am blind to my blindness. It is the individual who cannot see these things. 
they are the they are the victim i was again i was that way uh, because my good desire the thing that i wanted that i could never have but because it was a good desire uh, there was some blindness and i just kept doubling down and becoming angrier by the moment uh, and, and God was, began warring against me. I felt hopeless. It did lead to a hard heart. And as I doubled down, moving down the interstate, I eventually came to that place to where there was an obstruction in the road. And I hit that obstruction very hard. And it has to be hard enough, uh, proportional to the hardness of the individual's heart. And that's what you, this is a difficult prayer to pray. But ultimately, we have to pray that prayer for that individual. God, bring them to their senses. Uh, bring them to a Luke 15, verse 17 spot in the hog lot where they, they fall face first, where they face plant in the hog lot, and it's severe enough to where they come to their senses. It awakens them. It cracks the hard heart, and they begin to see the glimmers of grace coming through, uh, and then they start trekking back and making their way hopefully to God and begin to unravel all of this in a process of repentance. And so what I've just walked through is a 10-step process to a hard heart. It's right from an infographic that I rebuilt this weekend. I hadn't seen it in so long. I'd forgotten about it. But it was so good, so helpful to me personally that I, I wanted you to have it, and I wanted to explain it to you. And then I want you to go to episode 427 and just get it, get the URL, pull it off, drag it off onto your uh, uh, laptop, your computer, send it to a friend, put it on your refrigerator, print it off, do what you need to, sit down with someone. And just, I mean, if, you, you are, if you're listening or watching this, you, you, then you're in a spot, you're in a good spot. There's hope here to where you could sit down with a friend who would be willing to walk with you through this, and this could be a fantastic transformative opportunity, or maybe you want to sit down with someone else and say, hey, you know, I just watched this video, this dude over at lifeovercoffee.com, or I just listened to this podcast, and he was telling me to get this graphic, he walked through it, and it was very helpful to me, uh, can we do this together? And, and let's talk about where we are. And, and maybe a good conversation to have would be, how have our desires uh, got us off track? And for many of us, that may be good desires. Good desires, things that we want, but it's when that desire has so much management over our minds, then that desire becomes an idol. This is episode 427. I've titled it The 10-Step Process to a Hard Heart. If we can serve you, jump on our website. If you are a supporter of our ministry, go to the private forum. You can ask whatever question that you wish. Uh, if you need further help, just hit the support link, and we'll try to get you to help that you're asking for. Uh, that would be wonderful. And then if, if any of you are able uh, this is our giving season, the end of the year, and uh, this is the time of the year when 
Uh, our ministry is actually sustained financially. And so if you're able to give to our ministry, uh, if a one-time gift or recurring, if you're able to do that, uh, we would really appreciate it. It will allow us to continue to do what we do. Thank you so much again. My name is Rick Thomas. We're doing Life Over Coffee. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.